Welcome back into Locked On Suns, a Locked On podcast network. Today's is your host, Evan Seger, and my co-host, Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at eSeger. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. You also follow our Locked On Suns page on our Locked On PHX Suns. Your support over there is very much appreciated, as always. We're joining you guys here for a special edition of our Saturday episode because, as you guys know, the holidays happen. Happy, happy Thanksgiving again to everyone listening out there. Hope you guys had a great holiday. We're recapping the last two Suns games for you guys. The Suns, unfortunately, have now lost seven of the last eight games. They lost the last two games of this one, 132-140 to at home against the Washington Wizards on Wednesday. Then last night against the Dallas Mavericks, Brandon, they lost 113-120, to and Luka Doncic went absolutely off in that game. We're going to start off with the Washington Wizards game, just going chrono- chronological order here, Brennan. Let's start off before we go into the Wizards game, though. This two-game stretch here, what's been your biggest takeaway? I was thinking about this a little bit, and – trying to kind of tie them together in some way. I mean, I think the there's big picture ways you can tie them together, and some of it is what Monty Williams got into in his post-game press conference last night in that they are not looking like the sons of the beginning of the season. And I think that's one thing. Um, but game to game this week, Wednesday and Friday, I don't – it felt like two very different games. I think the Suns played pretty well on Friday. And I think, you know, they made some mistakes, but I think honestly, it's just a better team beating them in some ways. Uh, The Wizards game was, was very poorly played and kind of an, an inexcusable loss. When we went through the schedule earlier in the week, we kind of wrote off the Wizards game as a, a decently likely win, even though the Wizards do have a pretty good offense and the Suns just didn't bring it that night. So hard to say, like, each game has connective tissue there, but I do think, as you talked about with the bigger picture, the seven losses in the past eight games, there are a lot of things we can tie. And I think just losing the identity in a lot of crucial ways is is a troubling thing to see. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway from these first two games, and really I can mention the seven last eight games, outside the Minnesota game where they held them to 98 points, this defense has really started to lag off a little bit ever since that's really hot start to the season, Brian, because – you see again against the Washington Wizards, 140 points. That's inexcusable against this Wizards team, even though they're a hot offense. Then the Dallas Mavericks, I know Luka went off for 40-plus points, but 120 against the Mavericks team, you're not going to win most nights when you allow 120 against that kind of offense. So I think the defense is definitely one of the main things we're going to hit on in today's show as well. But let's dive into the Wizards game first, Brian, if you want to. Let's start off with our usual our usual format here, our free throws. Let's, let's, let's kick things off with yours. Yeah, if we want to look at the Wizards game first, I mean, um, I think that positive-wise, I have to go with Cam Johnson there. Um, Continues to earn playing time. I went back and watched the – I was at this game. I was not at the Mavericks game, but I went back and watched the third and fourth quarters of this Wizards game to try to understand why Kelly Oubre didn't play more. And Monty Williams was pretty aggressive after the game saying that you know, the you know he, he used the word inexcusable as well and basically said that he needs to find players who are willing and able to bring the type of principles and, and energy to each game and, you know, over the course of a game or, or guys are just going to not play. And I, I took that to mean, I mean, obviously, you look at the box score here, the guy who didn't play very much was Kelly Oubre, was really out for the entire fourth quarter and Cam Johnson took his place. So I know we're, you know, trying, we're, we're doing positives here, but just to set the table for how impressive Cam Johnson was in that game, not only making shots and 
He had a, a nice one dribble pull up that he's only done a couple times this year. Practices that shot a lot. If we see that come along more, I think that'll be exciting. Um, but knocking down the shots is is what you always expect. I've just continued to be impressed by you look up and and a guy's making a rotation or uh, you know protecting the rim from the weak side or even just getting a, a, a an arm up in a shooter's face when no one else is around him and it. it a lot of the time is Cam Johnson. He's becoming not only one of the, the better shooters on this team, but a real energy uh, player and a, and a defensive uh, positive that I never expected. Yeah, he's definitely one of the surprises so far this year. And like you mentioned, against the Withers, he had 17 points. He also chipped in 3 of 7 from 3 in 32 minutes. Compared to Calibre, he only played 18 minutes. I think it's fair to say, Brian, we mentioned this, I think in the first week of the season, once he's really started getting some run, that – I think he's already becoming one of the most trusted pieces of Monty's rotation. I agree. Uh, I think that's pretty evident. I asked him after the game, you know, the, it switched again to against the Mavericks, 41 minutes for Ubre, only 13 for Cam. Um, and I think, you know, that we've seen that night to night. Monty's going to go with who's playing well and which types of five-man units are are performing together. But uh, I asked him about it after the game, and he said he just gets the sense that whenever he – puts Cam in the game, he always seems to execute what's being asked of him and uh, knows the game plan, knows what what kind of the moment is. And I think that's, I mean, obviously surprising for a rookie, but also uh, at this point, at this point in the season, it's been rare to see in anybody. So uh, yeah, he deserves some credit. I did see a game in Dallas, even though he didn't play as well. Uh, he protected the rim. I was just going back and watching that one this morning. Uh, got a block at the basket, I think, against Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, it didn't get counted as a block, but it, for all intents and purposes, the ball didn't go in because Cam was there. So uh, even when he's not making shots, I think that's important to see. Yeah, I think a positive for me, at least from the Withers game, check Diallo, and even though he didn't play much against the Mavericks last night, he had 17 points off the bench and 10 rebounds. Doubled the ball off the bench for Diallo in only 23 minutes, 7-8 from the field a game where Frank Kaminsky was just got really, just really bad in that one. And that's why Diallo saw a lot of run, but I was surprised, especially against Dallas, that we didn't see a lot of Diallo at all. And I think that, I think Diallo deserves a little bit more of a, a slip with Kaminsky at this, at this point in time. Yeah. Well, I mean, if those are your two options, it's, it's not a, <laughs> your, your argument makes sense to me. I think just generally Diallo um, defensively is just not that great. Um, I think, you know, he can, he's a little better on the perimeter, obviously, than Kaminsky because he's so long and he can move pretty well. Um, but in the post, he can get taken advantage of. Monty Williams noticed that on uh, against the Wizards. And <clears throat> I think protecting the rim, neither one of these guys is very great. But yeah, I agree. I mean, if the, if the choice is Kaminsky or Diallo, I think you should see Diallo getting a few more minutes. He has been really impressive and um, just gives you a, a different dynamic, I think. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I think Diallo, like I mentioned, I, I wonder on some nights if Kaminsky's just really bad. We might see more of Diallo like we saw against the Wizards because Kaminsky definitely wasn't on his A game. We saw a lot more of Diallo. So overall, Brian, let, let me pivot back to you overall. What's your next point you want to on here? Yeah, I think my other free throw here isn't necessarily going to be a positive, but more so just a point to make because it's not really a negative necessarily either. So I'll just throw it in here. Uh, I think something to keep in mind here and, and a, a definite takeaway from these two games is Ricky Rubio is back, but uh, especially defensively, he is not, uh, he's not at full strength, I think. And so 
as much as the defense is struggling, I think you can look at that as, as a reason for optimism here where he's going to get healthier. He's going to be able to make more of his usual impact. But at the same time, I think that it's just going to be slow treading for a while, even with these guys back, because you look at the Wizards game and I was so surprised that the Suns kept Devin Booker on Bradley Beal. I think it speaks to Kelly Oubre not necessarily um, being trustworthy in those situations this season and Ricky Rubio not being up to full health. And then against the Mavericks, you saw a lot of uh, Luka Doncic just get, I mean, he does this to everybody, but you'd hope Ricky Rubio would be at least somewhat of a better defender than most in the league. And he was letting Luka get into the, into the lane at will. So two bad defensive games from Rubio. Um, and I just think the point I'm trying to make here is it seems to me like the movement is the problem. And maybe that is because of those back spasms, not that he's still having them to this, to the same degree, but just the soreness and lingering pain from that. Yeah. Do you, was it easy to, or not easy to tell, I guess, but on Wednesday and Friday, could you tell that Rubio still wasn't hundred percent yet? Well, like I said, I wasn't at the game Friday, but Wednesday, I mean, I, I don't think like I'm, I'm noticing anything, you know, being around them or anything, but just with the games, I think it's pretty clear to me that he's not, he's just not the, the type of aggressive pesky guy that we're used to seeing right now. And, you know, I don't think he had a steal in either game. Not that that's always the, the most telling thing, but I think for him, it is, he, he usually is a guy to get a couple of game and to play how many did he play over this this two game stretch? Fifty eight minutes and have zero steals. I think that's pretty telling too. Yeah, definitely agree with you there. I'll be curious to see what happens with Rubio moving forward here as he gets progressing and going forward from those back spasms. But I want to hit really quickly on one more point here, Dario Sarge, because he had a great offense against the Wizards. He also had another a, a disappointing outing, I, I would say, against the Mavericks for sure. Two away from the field, oh five from three. But the rebounding here is what I, I want to hit on here because. He had 12 rebounds against the Wizards, the nine against the against the Mavericks, adding a career high against the Nuggets, too. I feel like Dario is really becoming a really good rebounder all of a sudden, Bryn. Well, he's needed to, and he's been playing the five more. You know, so I think that's part of it. They're going small here. I think teams are starting to adjust where uh, they're putting more shooting out on the floor against the Suns, going a little bit smaller. I mean, the Wizards, that's just how they play. But I think we saw that even against um, Dallas, where – Dwight Powell only played 24 minutes. Maxi Kleba, who can shoot a little better than him, uh, was out there a little bit more. Porzingis, uh, I don't think he played any five, but we just are seeing teams attack that a little bit more. And it's because the Suns help so hard. When when the Suns send all that extra help that they do from the weak side, having that guy at the nail, having somebody down at the baseline to to come in to try to block the shot, if you have shooters, really good shooters that they're leaving, that that game plan gets a little dicier for the Suns and they have to have even more speed back out to the perimeter and all those things. So they've been playing smaller. And I think Sharich has been a benefit beneficiary where he's getting more rebounds. I also have been really just impressed with his defense. Um, being able to stay on the floor there. Obviously we've seen Monty Williams not know who to trust at center a lot of nights. You know, Bain's coming back against Dallas help playing 25 minutes that'll be the guy for a long time now but we've seen even with that that Kaminsky Diallo debate we were just having so having Sharich as an option there being able to to grab those rebounds and hold his own defensively has been huge I even thought Sharich was pretty good chasing Porzingis around on the perimeter which is not something I would have expected 
Yeah, he really was surprisingly. And looking at Porzingis, Brian, just real quickly, O of eight from the field and. 34 minutes just what, what what's going on with Porzingis here you pay him a max contract and I feel like he's regressing right now yeah it doesn't look good I mean the, the money is a is a problem but you had to you didn't have any choice but to pay him when you did and you know I think his just the the track record and the amount they gave up it, it kind of felt etched in stone when they traded for him that they were going to sign him to that deal but yeah, I mean, Eddie Johnson said on the broadcast yesterday that he he gives uh, – it's similar to Gordon Hayward. He was relating it to, to Hayward last season. He basically is like just – you give guys like a year to before you even make any sort of judgment on their, their recovery or how they're going to look moving forward when they're coming back from an ACL. And for Porzingis at 7-3, I think you maybe even give him longer. Yeah, that's a good point bringing up there because he definitely did not look like the usual Porzingis from the Knicks. Two steals and three blocks, though. That's pretty – I didn't even see that until now. That's that's not a – that doesn't look like a guy who can't move very well. Yeah, and especially, I think, on a night where Luka Doncic goes for 42-11-9, he can take a night off offensively because Luka definitely led the way for the Mavericks last night and the Suns' loss against them. But anything else, Brandon, as far as positives you want to dive into before we go on to our next segment? No, I think there were more, more negatives to go around today for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Before we go into our next one, I wanted to tell you guys, if you haven't already, to subscribe to Locked on Suns, whatever platform you're listening to, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, any podcast platform you listen to. We appreciate the listen and the follow, subscribe if you haven't already. Also, leave us a five-star review if you like what you're hearing. We very much appreciate it as always. So go ahead and subscribe to Locked on Suns. All right, Brown, let's dive in now to our negatives here, and I'll give you the floor here to start. Whew. There's lots of, I mean, I think the defense to me is, is really like the, the big picture thing here. Um, but we got into that quite a bit. I, I think you have to go back to Frank Kaminsky and it, it's part of, it's part of the point I was making about the defense when you brought up Sharich being more of a positive on the glass and, and on, on defense recently. And I think it's, it's a problem that Kaminsky has already uh, I don't know if it's even struggled or if it's just kind of come back down to earth where teams are already disregarding him as a legitimate threat. We saw at what what really put this into to perspective for me was when the Suns went to their bench with Aaron Baines back last night. The main the main uh, reserve unit because they were gonna they I think Monty knew he was gonna bring Sharich in at the five for the next rotation when Baines came out. So that Baines at center unit was Rubio, the three wings, and Baines. Meaning that Kaminsky is now getting like, he's the third string center, which is exactly, I think, what we expected him to be. It was just back then we thought it would be DeAndre Ayton, Aaron Baines, and then Kaminsky. Now it is Kaminsky, Sharich, and Baines. And so I'm not not positive he might have played some four last night. But it's such a problem that you're already losing that, which was a real strength of the team early on, that they were able to have that size inside to hit the glass and, and have the, the rim protection there. And, and they just can't right now because teams are not respecting Kaminsky. They're going at him. They know that he's not really a, much of a rim-protecting threat and that offensively he, he's not somebody they have to pay a lot of attention to spotting up. So the, the, the bad parts of Kaminsky are all kind of coming together right now, and it's a real problem for the Suns. Yeah, that's it's one of the more disappointing aspects of their regression so far. I think this is one we expect, though, Brennan, because we were talking in that hot stretch, like what is sustainable? And I think we were talking just about – I think Frank Kaminsky is one of those guys we were kind of circling as far as 
if he does regress, I think it's going to happen pretty soon. Yeah, and it has. And, you know, it's coming on both ends, which is the bigger issue. He was pretty good on defense for a while there, and I think that's going away. I think teams are just realizing that they don't have to be as scared of him as they are against uh, Aaron Baines. I think that they just, you know, the the scheme was so unique at the beginning of the year that they didn't have enough time to adjust. I think the game plan is finally just starting to come out. Like I said, teams are playing smaller against the Suns, making a, a Frank Kaminsky have to run out on shooters more. And uh, it's just all kind of showing us, I think, that he doesn't deserve the playing time anymore, especially when Aiton gets back. His true shooting down now to 51%, wow. which is uh, below average and and pretty bad. So three-point percentage for him at 29%. So it's, it's, it's ugly. It's not, I don't think it's, that's where he's going to end the season, but I do think we can expect that when DeAndre Ayton gets back, Kaminsky will, will take a back seat for sure. Yeah, I wonder if he's out of the rotation entirely once Ayton's back because he's just far too inconsistent right now for the Suns to trust him. But for my negative, Brent, I wanted to hit on with you for a second. This isn't Dan Booker himself as a negative, but I want Booker to be more aggressive, especially in moments where it feels like it's kind of more – you can tell so far this year he's definitely team-oriented, passing the ball when he needs to. But on some nights, especially against Washington, especially against Dallas, I think we need to see the old version of Booker where it's everyone get out of my way for a second. We need to get back in this game. Give me the ball right right here, right now. And I want to see more of that. I know maybe it's, maybe it's selfish of Booker to start doing that a little more often. Maybe that's not what they want to do, but – on some nights where you need to win these games, Brian, I feel like you just have to have the ball in Booker's hands way more often. I think Booker needs to shoot the ball more often instead of passing. And I think taking 16 shots last night, second on the team, 20 shots against Washington, I know that's usually what he took throughout his career. But I think we need to see more of an aggressive version of Booker, especially in winning time. I completely agree. And it's been nice to have uh, Eddie Johnson be pretty brutally honest at times on the broadcast, You know, just being a, a player, obviously, and a pretty similar type of player to Booker pointing out specific instances where he he thinks Booker should have shot. There was a a baseline out-of-bounds play in the, I think, second quarter where Booker turned the ball over trying to get it to Sharich or, you know, passing up a somewhat contested three to, to move the ball around the arc. Those are just times where the best shot is for Booker to take the shot. And, and it's puzzling, I think, to see. It, it's It's nice when he's making winning plays in their winning games, it's it's a little bit more frustrating, I think, as a viewer when he's making those plays in, in losses and you're wondering what could have been if he had been a little bit more aggressive. And I, I think it's, you know, again, a thing we were noting even back then that, you know, why is Booker kind of deferring so often, even though they are winning games, it's a little bit strange to see him giving the ball to guys like Javon Carter or Frank Kaminsky when he he's so much more talented and, and those shots are better. But maybe we will start to see that because I think these past few games have really shown that these other guys are, are not the best option in a game, and he is. Yeah, I have to wonder, like you mentioned, how, how soon we're going to see that because seven of the last eight games, I just feel like at this point – we had to see kind of Booker take over a game again. It's been a, it's been a few weeks, and I just want to see it happen. That Philly game is really the only one I can think of where it really felt like he he decided to to take over and and did. It's, it hasn't really happened. No, yeah, I think you're right. Just that one game outside of that explosion he had against Philly, and outside of that, I really don't think we've seen a lot of it this year. That's for sure. Yeah, I I think it 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 should come soon. Um, you know, but at the same time now. Rubio and Maidens are coming back and I th- are, are back and I think their offense looked a lot better. So it's just a matter of 
balancing that because I think that when those guys are in there, the 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 whole unit can benefit from you know being a little better than the sum of its parts. But I just think you know you watch that Washington game, you know, getting the ball moving. They have shooters. They have guys who can attack. Ish Smith, Isaiah Thomas, some of their young guys. But Bradley Beal knew that most times him taking a shot was the best option in a possession. It it is just such a different way than how uh, Booker has played the beginning of this year. That, that game really put it into perspective for me watching how Beal operated. He was nailing contested threes and it, it didn't seem like a bad shot because he's so good. So uh, I think we could see a little, we should see a little more of that from Booker for sure. But before we close the show out, try to see if there were any numbers that carried over over the course of these two contests uh, another reminder to subscribe to the show wherever you're finding it. We appreciate the support we've gotten. Uh, I know it's been a little rocky lately, but this season should be a ton of fun as these guys get back to health. And we're we're right about at the point where we have to start talking about DeAndre Ayton coming back. So if you want to stay in touch with everything going on across the universe of, of the Suns, hit that subscribe button and uh, join the ride. Okay. Number to watch, stat to watch here. What I was noticing right before we we got on to record the show was that the Suns continue to shoot pretty well in every game, uh, not every game, but in in most of their losses this year, they've still made around 45-50% of their field goals, been, you know, 35-40% from 3. It's kind of strange to see that in a loss that they are are still making so many shots and and looking pretty efficient on offense. So I know that's a positive in a game in a stretch where they lost two games, but that did stick out to me. Yeah, it is because I was looking at their general stats the last two games. Did you know the Suns actually are the leaders in the last two games in points per game at one twenty two point five? You know they are zero and two. So <laughs> yeah, really weird. It's unfortunate because they the defense kind of wasted two great offensive games from the Suns because you see just how efficient and how hot these these guys can get, and overall just that the lagging of defense really just came back to bite them a little bit. Yeah, it did. And and just to kind of use the offense as the stat to watch kind of generally, uh, 29 assists to just 10 turnovers against Dallas. That's almost a three to one. That's that's close to where it was early in the season when we were praising them so much. And again, coming in a loss is just really painful. Yeah, I'm looking at the advanced stats here on NBAstats.com. And I kind of took a double take as you were talking there, Brandon, because I was doing the advanced ratings. And the defensive rating for the Suns' last two games is 125, and the 29th in the NBA is 119.5. So they have a very sizable distance between, between themselves and, and 29th place with the Wizards. So this defense right now, Brandon, is I think something we should talk about because it's reached a point where these last few weeks, especially with Aaron Baines, and even with Baines back we saw last night, this defense is starting to worry me a little bit. Yeah, to me, like the Pelicans is is more scary or the Kings, but – these are two of the top three offenses. You know, we noted that as we broke down the schedule that the Wizards and and Mavericks were two of the top three offenses in the entire NBA. So I would have hoped that they could have done a little better, but at the same time, we knew they were going to have to win these games with their offense. And did you think it looked a little better, at least with Baines? Because I I feel like it, it, it just kind of looked back to normal where Kaminsky just wasn't really capable of, of executing what they wanted to do, whereas Baines obviously is. I feel like it's a thing where it's obvious just because communication alone, where I think Baines was just communicating all over the place, and I don't think Kaminsky really knew how to be an anchor, so to say. 
Yeah, that's true too. I I agree. So I hope it gets maybe maybe Baines was just we weren't really um even properly understanding how big he would be for them defensively. And then, you know, like I the point I made in the first segment about Rubio, I think he's still operating at, you know, eighty percent or or wherever you want to put him. So those two guys continuing to get healthy should help and not playing amazing offenses should also help. Yeah, definitely agree with you there. And looking again at some advanced stats, and surprisingly enough, Bren, the the efficiency for this offense is maintained. The number five in true shooting percentage the last two games. Offensive rating number three overall, 118.4 points per 100 possessions. I like what I'm seeing so far offensively from this team. I think they're starting to click as far as what they want to do and how they want to go with Monty. Well, it's been nice to see um, a little bit more consistent play from – certain rotation pieces, whether that's Cam Johnson, you know, not, I think it's fair to call him somewhat streaky just as far as the shot going in, you know, just these two games alone show that. But I think that's been true over the course of the year. He'll have a big game where he makes two or three or four threes. And then the next game, maybe just one or, or zero, but he's been more consistent than, you know, a guy like Javon Carter or Tyler Johnson. And I think even Elliot Kobo has to be counted among, the more reliable group at this point, at least offensively. So hopefully that helps. And then, you know, we're, we're just around the corner from DeAndre Ayton's return. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And I think overall, um, I have to wonder once Ayton is back, how this offense is going to look, because I think the efficiency of this offense will be even better because you just see how the, in the game one, I know it was over in October, but if we see the impact that Aiden made offensively on this team, I think this team could be one of the top offenses in the NBA. Not top offense, but I think at least upper half of the NBA for sure as far as offensive efficiency goes. Yeah, well, make it more sustainable to stay there. That is where they've been, but just to be able to have it look a little nicer and be probably more more sustainable, although now we're almost 20 games into the year, so what they're doing now has to be probably called sustainable as well. So it'll change a lot, and give us plenty to talk about. I'm sure we can do a whole show just about probably more than one show, just about what it'll, what it'll mean and what it'll look like for Aiton to return to this team. But I agree. The offense is uh, at the very least starting to round into form, just the ability that they are able to compete with these two offenses that I've been praising so much, you know, they're, they are two of the best in the NBA and the Suns went basically toe to toe with them. So that, that has to be a good thing as well. And a reason to think that, if these guys keep getting healthier and figure some more things out on defense, maybe cut some minutes of guys who aren't really able to to help this team, that it does turn around. Was there any stats and notes, Bern, you wanted to have before we end today's show? No. Uh, excited for, for next week. See how they do on the road. Yeah, real quickly, just before we end the show, Bern, four-game road trips, seven of the last eight games the Suns have lost, as we've noted multiple times in today's show, at the Hornets, at the Magic, at the Pelicans, at the Rockets. Uh, even with this adversity the Suns are hitting, I feel this is a very important stretch here. Yeah, everything we said with the schedule show earlier in the week, people can check out, but that still stands to me. I don't think I saw anything from these. Even though I expected them to beat Washington, I didn't see anything from these games that makes me necessarily worried. So I I think they still can beat up on some of these uh, lesser talented teams, even on the road, and, and stay right in the playoff picture. Alrighty, guys, it does for today's episode of Locked on Suns. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at East Setter. You can follow Bird on Twitter at BurdenClean14. Also, follow our Locked on Suns Twitter page at Locked on PHX Suns. That'll do it for today's episode, guys. Again, happy holidays here from Locked on Suns. We'll be back to you guys on Monday for next episode.